This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Murakami Space Toilets. Funnel, tube, and some suction. Just like on Earth, except different. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Homicidal Aliens in Space Week on Pod Cemetery with. 1992's Alien 3, or Alien Cubed, (laughs) and 2017's SEO Nightmare, Life. Can you imagine just calling a movie Life in 2017? (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to research anything about that movie? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. These titles are not great. Our first movie, Alien 3, I've been waiting for for quite some time. That's why this is... Sort of my birthday mm-hmm. episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Alien 3 is, I like, first of all, Alien is one of my favorite horror movie franchises. Uh, also one of my favorite franchises. Uh, and it's been a very long time since I've seen Alien 3. I will say I am not looking forward to Resurrection. <laughs> it was written by David Geiler, Walter Hill, and Larry Ferguson based on a story by Vincent Ward and characters by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chessett. I'll just say that a lot of people had their hands on this script. <laughs> uh, so it's not just them. They just happen to be the ones that get credit. There were script drafts written by William Gibson and uh, David Toohey of Riddick fame. Oh, that's funny. Which I know, like... the interesting. The underground mining prison, like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rennie Harlan, since he was attached to direct at one point, he claims he wrote certain content for it. David Fincher, of course, because there were a lot of rewrites involved. David Fincher being the director of the movie, who, if he had his druthers, wouldn't be credited at all. Uh, So why didn't he get a fake name? I don't think the Director's Guild let him, if I remember correctly. Like, you need to get permission from the Director's Guild to do that. Probably so they don't just have that happen a whole bunch. They need to regulate that. They need to control it. I I honestly can't say for certain, though. He hated it because of all the interference from the producers, from Fox. This was a very unpleasant experience for him, and he went back to directing music videos. So he wouldn't come back to film until 7. One of the producers of which, Arnold Copelson, knew what went on with Alien and offered Fincher the job because he didn't like what Fox did. It's a weird, weird combination of influences on this movie and why it spiraled. I will put it down to uh, they just needed to make a sequel to Alien, and it needed to come out on this date, and that's what needed to happen. And they ended up cycling through directors until they got to Fincher, and then they ended up making all sorts of last-minute changes. I would highly, highly recommend Ralph Brown who plays the assistant to the director, 85, I think is his name, has a WordPress blog where he shares his journal entries from the time. 
And there's this whole thing where he he had so many rewrites on his character. They made him 85 after he had joined, <laughs> already signed on. And then we're like, yeah, we're going to make your character an idiot and a coward. <laughs> and he had to fight for what he got. And he felt really bad for throwing David Fincher under the bus and accepting the writers who were also producers, their ideas to an extent in order to save his own ass. And it's really, really interesting. And Fincher was like, no, you got to do what you got to do. But pretty much the only person that comes out of this looking like good is Fincher, despite the fact that he is really gruff. And he's like, no, I don't want to ever fucking deal with this ever again. I need my way or the highway from here on out. And it makes him sound a little bit gruff. It seems like everyone, including Sigourney Weaver, who was a producer on this, really believed in him. And his vision and really, really liked what he was doing. But all the complicated relationships between the different producers, Fox, the writers, him, the actors, there was just so much going on and it needed to get done right away. So as a result, this movie kind of fell apart. That's all the directed by David Fincher stuff. The movie stars Sigourney Weaver, Charles S. Dutton, Charles Dance, Lance Henriksen, Pete Postlethwaite, and a bunch of other English actors. <laughs> what is Alien 3 about? Well, last time we checked in with Ripley, she, Newt, and Hicks, and Bishop all went into cryogenic sleep. And we all thought, yes, awesome. Our characters are going to survive. Yep. And then this movie was like, no, <laughs> we're going to take that away from you. <laughs> so where does she land? She lands on a prison, I, a prison planet. Prison refinery planet. Yeah. We'll I get mean, more into details of what that means later. Totally reminds you of Riddick. Yeah. Absolutely. Which, of course, this predates. And, of course, guys, how do you think she crash landed? There was an alien on board and... Uh, yeah, so there's an alien now on this planet that she has to deal with. With, again, a whole new planet of characters that have never encountered one. That she she's the to, only one that yeah. knows what to do. Uh-huh. The movie is available to rent for $4 or buy for 15 a little bit cheaper on Google and Redbox. To be clear, we are watching the assembly cut from 2002 uh, because we have the Alien Blu-ray collection, and it's on there. I'm not entirely sure where you can watch it streaming. Oftentimes, uh, Apple does stuff like that, but I can't, I can't confirm. This assembly cut is called that, even though if you put it in the DVD, it says director's cut, which is really, really weird because that was one of David Fincher's, like, stipulations was, yeah, go ahead, make the changes that I would have made to it. Go, like, roll back to the version that I had, that I had assembled that's, you know, why they call it the assembly cut, because it was the assembly cut that he was using to be like, this is going to be my movie once we're done with all the post-production stuff. They took out like half an hour worth of stuff and even changed the cow to a dog and stuff like that. A lot more character building in this one. So if you want to watch along with what we're talking about, that is the assembly cut. If something seems like, wait a minute, I don't remember that. It's probably part of that half hour that they cut out of Fincher's version of the movie. And from what I remember, I would suggest watching the assembly cut because it makes things a lot clearer. Yeah, there are things that get left out that are a little bit unclear. An entire character who just disappears at one point in the movie. Which character? Golic. You don't get to see what happens to him? Nope. Hmm. He just 
disappears. I mean, does it matter? <laughs> well, I don't know if or how they explain, like, maybe it doesn't ever, they don't ever trap it. Because at one point they trap the alien. And he lets it and out. And he lets it out. So maybe they just never trap it in that version. I don't know. And that's where they get a lot of the cuts from. Maybe. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? Definitely don't watch it as a standalone. It doesn't work as a standalone movie. Yeah. But if you're a fan of the Alien series so far, I would absolutely watch it. Yes. I think it is still good. Yeah. This still feels like Alien to me, although they do a lot of like um, superimposed shots with the alien where it was a puppet. So then they superimposed it and the lighting is terrible. That is. It looks so bad. It's sad to say the alien is the worst part of the film. Kind of is. Yeah. When we're not getting like a close up of the face. Yeah. And even then, like the, the one that comes out, if you're paying attention, the puppet isn't great. It's not as good as it was. It doesn't move as smoothly, you yeah. know? I will also say, though, that despite the fact that at the time especially people disparaged this movie, it is responsible for some pretty major alien moments. Mm-hmm. Ripley with a shaved head, that face-off moment where it gets right up in her face right mm-hmm. next to her. Mm-hmm. This is also the first movie where we see an alien just eat somebody, right? Like, that's the thing. It'll swipe, it'll kill, it'll put things into heads or whatever, but we've never seen an alien eat somebody until this movie. The concept of an alien changing its biology based on whatever its host was is introduced in this movie. Uh, The ending, which is very iconic, though controversial. It's a big part of the alien franchise, and here it is, even though they undo it in the very next movie. Yeah. This is also the first time we hear Wayland yutani spoken out loud. Oh, really? It's always called The Company. We see it, but we never hear it spoken out loud. Who says it? Charles Dance. Fury 161. It's one of Whalen Utani's backwater work prisons. Tywin Lannister? Yes. Yeah. He dies on a toilet. <laughs> Spoilers, Spoilers for Game of Thrones. <laughs> Jesus. And I got to say, there are a lot of really, really cool shots in this movie. If you want to go back... We've seen two Fincher movies on this show already. If you want to go back and watch this as his first feature-length film, there's a lot of, like, proto-Fincher framing and movement of the camera. And it's like you can really recognize that, oh, this person becomes, you know, one of my favorite directors. <laughs> you can see those, those moments. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1992's Alien 3. Here. In a world where the sun burns gold and the wind blows colder, a visitor has come, but not by herself. It started. The suspense is back. And we have no weapons of any kind. The fear is back. Ah, don't look back, dude! Run as fast as you can! And most of all, the bitch is back. <laughs> Alien 3.
All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Alien 3 begin? We see in a really lame, I gotta say lame, because I love these characters. You love Newt, you love Hicks, you love Bishop, and they kill them off in this really lame montage of the alien. Agreed. They need Not even to... really showing you what the alien does, which they... I guess is part of the secret. They basically revert to, and this is probably the biggest problem with the plot, they basically revert to the status quo at the beginning of the second movie, which is just her on her own floating out into space. I don't think there's anything that you couldn't have taken out of this movie in order to make it replace aliens. Like, theoretically, forget aliens ever happened. Put Alien 3 in its place and take out references to Hicks and Newt. She's oh. aware of certain aspects of the alien that she didn't know of in the and, first and, film. And Bishop. Yeah. Bishop is plays a, an important role here. Yes. You could have made the first one. Yeah, you could write that out. You could have made the first one Ash. And the second Bishop that we see could have just been somebody else. Could have been a rando. Didn't need to be Bishop. It could have been Ash. <laughs> I don't know. There's certain aspects that I don't think she would have known if the second movie had Fair enough. But it's like, for a lot of the case, it's basically like the second movie didn't happen. And I would say that's to this movie's deficit. Mm -hmm. They just write off every single person she was with at the end of the second movie. Mm -hmm. Sucks. Yeah. Why does that happen? Because we need an excuse for her to crash land onto Fiorina? Fiorina 161, which... Again, we got a Riddick thing. Fury yeah. 161 is what they call it. And mm -hmm. like officially in Weyland-Yutani communications, they will call it Fury. Very sadly, there are no Furians. Nope. <laughs> Outer Veil, Mineral, Ore Refinery, Double Y Chromosome Work Correctional Facility, Maximum Security. That's what it says at the beginning where she lands. But you said that's nonsense. What's nonsense? Double Y Chromosome? No, no, no. That's a real thing. They are, they specifically, for whatever reason they write into it, it has to be a man, biologically speaking, because only men have Y chromosomes. Generally speaking, and I am not any sort of genetic expert or anything like that, but generally speaking, when a child or adult, for that matter, has an XYY, so they have an extra Y chromosome, they're maybe a little bit taller. But physically, not a lot changes. Mentally, though, some stuff changes. They're in the normal range of intelligence, but maybe a little bit not as intelligent as their siblings. They also can miss some developmental milestones. And you can see behavioral problems, which is, I think, what they're saying is these are all criminals who did terrible, terrible things because of their genetics. Mm. Or at least that's what the government in this world thinks. Mm -hmm. And so they send them off somewhere else to work on this oil refinery. Where Lord Mountbatten. Lord Mountbatten, yes, Charles Dance. <laughs> is their doctor. Uh-huh. And he's doing patrol out on the beach, I guess. And he comes upon... The crash. Ripley. Yeah, and he finds Lieutenant Ripley. And he sends message back to Wayland yutani one survivor, and then lists all the deceased. Mm-hmm. Did we say why she crash lands there? I asked you why and you said so she can land on Fury. But what actually happens that causes them to crash? There's a fire. Yes. I assume from the acid blood. Yeah. There's been some sort of disturbance because of the alien. And then... Yeah, they're not hiding the, that the alien was there. They're hiding what the alien did. Yes. And then the life raft was ejected and then the rest of the ship was 
sent home or something. I don't know what happened to the rest of the ship. I, I think they know. say, but I don't know what. I don't know. But so we find out that this particular group of prisoners have become super religious over the years, and they are led by... Well, it depends on what you're talking about by lead. Spiritually, it's Dylan, played by Charles S. Dutton. Yes, he is their religious leader, who eventually they will vote to be their military leader as well. And he is very upset by the fact that there is a woman uh, on this planet, because they've all taken a vow of celibacy, which never really mattered, because there's no women around anyway. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you take a vow of something, you kind of need to be tempted to do it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not much of a vow, is it? Yeah. But so sh her being there is going to disrupt their harmony. It's going to be a violation of their harmony in this this prison planet. What brother means to say is we view the presence of any outsider, especially a woman, as a violation of the harmony, potential break in the spiritual unity. So... The other guy who's in charge... Andrews, who actually isn't a criminal, he's basically the warden. Yes. And he's there with one other person, and that's Aaron, who will later learn they call 85, played by Ralph Brown. Yeah, and it makes sense that he didn't know that that was going to be his nickname, because he doesn't really play him as super dumb. Yeah. Or handicapped, really. He's just more of a coward than anything else. Yeah, and that's what he was left with after his negotiation with the producers slash writers was, no, you can't really fight at the end of the movie. You need to be cowardly. But he got to be like, not as stupid and maybe a little bit more noble by the end. Yes. I think that's what he, that's what he got out of his negotiations. I understand, because that role would suck. Yeah. But so he says that, well, she's not allowed to come out of the infirmary, especially not without an escort, which they're never going to listen to that. They aren't going to listen to that at all. She's going to walk around all the time. And she's not going to have an escort. And yes, it's going to piss him off, but he's also not going to do a thing about it. Right. He says, We've 25 prisoners in this facility. All double white promos, all thieves, rapists, murderers, child molesters, all scum. Just because they've taken on religion doesn't make them any less dangerous. I try not to offend their convictions. I don't want to upset the order. I don't want ripples in the water. And I don't want a woman walking around giving them ideas. Mm -hmm. I don't want a woman walking around giving them ideas. The reason she will have to shave her head is because they have a real problem with lice. Yep. How lovely. When she discussed that with David Fincher, she was like, yeah, I'll do it. If I'm getting paid more. <laughs> uh, good for her. Yeah. Good for Sigourney. But so she is, of course, most concerned about Newt and Hicks. Now, why she would only check on Newt and not on Hicks? Yeah. So I don't understand. He didn't allow them his likeness rights for a doll, but she did. Hmm. He let them use a picture, and if I remember correctly, there was a lot of uh, legal kerfuffle about that. And they ended up having to pay him almost as much as it would have been to keep him in the movie. Or was that Terminator? I don't remember. One of the two movies where he's in one of them and not in the very next one does something like that. No, he acted in Terminator 2. They got him in and he performed. Yeah. I can't remember. Sorry, guys. But it is strange that they don't even address it in the film as to why she would only be curious about Newt's body instead of Hicks. Because, of course, guys, she is concerned about the chestburster situation. Here's my problem, though. Why isn't she concerned about herself? 
Because she seems fine. The only experience she's had with a face hugger infecting anybody is their chest explodes pretty quickly after that. Once his face wakes up, he has dinner, chest exploded. John oh Hurt. God. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I would, <laughs> it would be my next thought. Uh, let's check me, just in case. Let's do it. Let's do an x-ray. Yeah, they don't do that for a while. No. So there's all this, like, sexual tension between her and the doctor because he hasn't had sex in a really long time. Did she and Hicks, like, they kissed. They kissed. They kissed, but they did not have sex. They go right into the cryo chamber at the end, and then he's dead. (laughs) I mean, you took him away, I guess, you know, next best thing. She just wants to get laid. Next best thing. (laughs) Let's go with the one who's not a criminal anymore. Because I'm certainly not getting with the warden. I would, but I, I would Charles, much rather Hicks. Charles Dance, though, like, he's pretty cool in this. I just, I know him as... Right. You know him as villains. Yes. You know him as a villain in kind of a pseudo-villain in The Crown. You know him as a villain in Game of Thrones. Yep. I know him as a villain in Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Like... He's a villain. So yes. when he's in this, and he's kind of cool. <laughs> but so he instantly likes her, which is why he agrees to do all this medical exam, even though she won't tell him why. She wants him to do it. She eventually tells him, I'm worried about cholera. Which is a lie, and he knows yeah. it. He's like, there hasn't been a case of cholera in 200 years. <laughs> but he's like, fine, I'll do it for you. I know you're being discreet. I get it. But I'll do it. I'm willing to do it. And he takes heat from the warden for it, too. Yeah. The warden demands that the bodies be burned, incinerated. And so they are. They are dropped into well, because the refinery fire. Well, because he convinces the guy. He's like, look, she thinks it could possibly be an infection. I don't think you want that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. You don't want a disease spreading through here. And he's like, no, you're, you're right. I don't. So they decide to do a cremation, which is very important. For the end of the film. It is. But I'd like to point out that we're getting to see the prisoners doing their prison detail, I guess. Yeah. And this is where they find the face hugger. Yeah. So Boy, what's this? <laughs> That's what he says. It's so good. Hey, Brett. What's this? He just holds up a face hugger. So, yes, a little bit of context about what's going on in this place. It was a bigger prison planet. They were reducing. Something happened with the refinery, and they're getting everyone they're off the planet. They're going to shut it down. They're going to shut it down, yeah. And these men who had converted were like, we don't want to go back. We're going to be in prison for life. How about you just leave us here, and we'll keep this place running at minimum efficiency. And that's it. You leave us alone, and we're not allowed to leave, and we'll keep this place taken care of in case you ever want to come back. You know, that's kind of how it runs. And they left three people there. The warden, the warden's assistant, and the doctor, who has also been a prisoner in his past. He reveals his story to her that yes. he was a drug addict and he caused many no, deaths. No, he was, he was not a drug addict. He was exhausted after having worked. Oh, well, I guess he might have been a drug addict. He was on like but, morphine or something, right? But he explains that he was exhausted after working for 36 hours, went out and got really drunk, and then got called back in. Yeah, he should have been on the call. wrong prescription. Yeah, and he like twenty two people died or twelve people died 11. or something. Yeah, it was eleven people. Well, I, I doubled it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so we see they're all working jobs. We'll see them working jobs, just keeping this refinery moving. 
And these two guys, Frank and Murphy, are hauling up a dead cow that's covered in maggots and stuff like that because they're going to, I don't know, burn it later, butcher it. I can't remember what they're going to do with it. Don't know. Yeah. What do you think killed, babe? Beats me. He's just killed over. How old was she? Charts say 11. In a prime. Never mind. Chop it up later and throw it in a stew. Right. So that's going to be where the facehugger turns into an animal-like creature. Yes. Which I guess in the film they turned that into a dog. It was for a some dog. Reason. And they tried when they did the reshoots to just attach a rig to a real dog. And it just looked like a whippet running around in a Halloween costume, you know, like Halloween costumes for dogs. It's just kind of like the legs sort of flopping. It uh-huh. looks so stupid. Uh-huh. Um that they ended up going against that and using a puppet. Well, but, that didn't look great either. No. I mean, it, it, I would I will say it looked good. It didn't it didn't look real. It yes. It I thought it was CG. It was really poorly superimposed onto the film. Mhm. But during that scene when that thing is coming out, it's coming out at the same time as they are burning the bodies. Yes. And it's a cool juxtaposition. I enjoyed the acting and direction there. Dylan is giving this really nice speech, but it's about how, you know, a new life, a new beginning, and it's being juxtaposed with them being sent off to heaven and this new creature, this new version of the alien uh-huh. being born. Yeah. And I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. And then in the next shot, she m- moves her hand over the mirror and gets rid of the steam, and then she's a she's a shaved head. Yep. Good for you, Ripley. And she goes into the mess hall and tries to thank Dylan for his kind words, and he's like, Yo, you don't want to know me, lady. I'm a murderer and rapist of women. Ripley's response, which is kind of badass, she needs to never show fear. She's always a badass. She says, Really? I must make you nervous. Mm. And then sits down. Mm-hmm. So badass. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, that said, there is a rape attempt in this movie, and if it wasn't for Dylan, it probably would have happened. Yes, absolutely. All her bluster. It's kind of weird that they did that. Well, you can't I mean she you can't blame Ripley. She was attacked by five people at once. I'm not, but it's still in the movie. Yeah, no, totally. But it's also realistic. Sure. So there's this whole side character that's going on named Gallic, who is a strange character. I don't really know what I'm supposed to get out of him. Like, sometimes they make you feel sorry for him, but then at the same time, he is just crazy and bastard. He's mm-hmm. a crazy bastard and evil and does evil things. He's because- an el- he's an agent of chaos in the plot, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. But so he's going to be kind of coming in and out of the picture. We're going to be hearing about him. He, his real only important role is that he's enamored with the alien and he's the reason that the alien will get out after they've captured him. Yeah. But I don't think we need to really get into anything else about him. Yeah, he calls to. it a dragon, which is kind of cool at one point because he will see it. He calls it a dragon and that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's cute. When Ripley hears that, she's like, I would like to speak to him about this dragon because no one will take him seriously because he's crazy yeah what he says is it was a dragon feeds on minds because he literally saw it eating somebody's brain out of his head 
So that's pretty neat. Yeah, we get a lot of really fun <laughs> descriptions of the aliens in this film. When Ripley tries to tell the warden about it, his response is pretty great. We'll oh, yes. Here. He says, Let me see if I have this correct, Lieutenant. It's an eight-foot creature of some kind with acid for blood, and it arrived on your spaceship. It kills on sight and is generally unpleasant. And of course, you expect me to accept all this on your word. It's a very good description. Yep, yeah. that's true. <laughs> that's mm. pretty succinct explanation of what's going on here. <laughs> we do talk over here that she does recover Bishop. He's all beat up. She revives him and he talks. And he's just sort of one of his arms and his head and it's half of his so face is burned sad, off. sad because you really liked Bishop in the last movie. Yeah, and he says, I will never again operate at peak capacity. I would rather not operate, which I don't think robots are supposed to be suicidal. I think it's the third law of robotics. But then again, you don't have to follow the laws of robotics. People say that like, well, the first law of robotics says, yeah, Isaac Asimov put that in a book. It's not like a law of the physical universe. Right. <laughs> Because it's a rule doesn't mean people don't break it. Right. It's an iRobot. Like, <laughs> other universes could be different. But yes, brings him back to life. And what does he explain? He explains that the company knows everything. The company knows uh -huh. that there is an alien. And she knows from the last two films that the company will do whatever it takes to get that alien home. Yes. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether or not she understands yet why they want her alive. We should also mention, guys, that she does get it on with yeah. the doctor. Well, we say that. Oh, did we? Yeah, we talked about that. Uh -oh. About how she just needed to get laid. Well, it's interesting because she uses sex to deflect his questions, but also he also... He knows that. But He's he like, also deflects her questions. He, she wants to know about his history. But he gives that to her before she gives her history to him. Does Does he? I think so, yeah. Because hmm. she's like, what's that barcode on the back of your neck? And then... But it takes a couple scenes. He yeah, doesn't tell uh -huh. her right away. Yeah. We should mention just, I don't know, it's interesting news. Uh, the guy who does attempt to rape Ripley. And don't worry, guys. He'll later sacrifice himself for everybody. So, you know, it's all okay. That he's right, yeah. Him. He gets to be a good guy by the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's the old cop from Mindhunter which it wasn't until this movie that I realized that guy is in Fight Club. Yes. One tough motherfucker. Holt McCallany? I understand. In death, a member of Project Mayhem has a name. His name is Robert Paulson. I can't believe I never realized it the entire time we watched Mindhunter. Right. That's pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dylan beats the shit out of all of them who are holding her down and all of that. Knocks McCallany in the head with a giant pipe and tells her to get out of there. He's got to re-educate some of the brothers. We're going to discuss some matters of the spirit. Take off. I got to re-educate some of the brothers. We've got to discuss some matter of the spirit. This was one of the few times that I was very distracted by the camera work. Really? Okay. There were some weird shots where they were running away and it was just of their feet. 
And I kept thinking, oh, somebody's going to trip. The alien's oh, going to pop out. Yeah, these out. are the guys who are running from the alien. Yeah. And uh -huh. nothing happened with it. And I was like, why, Fincher, why are you it's making just, me look at their feet? <laughs> I don't know. We've seen that all the time. You'll see that a lot in anime where you just see when somebody's running and they're stressed out, it's frenetic, it's vibrant, it's action-packed. And it's how you make people running interesting, especially when they're like running through puddles and stuff like that. And you get the splash of water. That's all that is. I don't know. I thought it was distracting. The alien will kill a guy by pushing him into a fan. And we finally, like, we keep seeing the alien, but it like pops in and out of the frame. Uh -huh. And I'm like, dude, I know what the alien looks like. Right. You're not, you're not going to surprise me. This one me. looks a little different, though, by the way it walks. Its head is still exactly the same. But it was very exciting when you finally got to see the face. I was yeah. like, Jesus Christ, Fincher, you didn't create, this isn't Jaws. <laughs> so yes, yeah, kills a guy by pushing him into a fan. They're like, whoa, well, that's a weird accident, especially since the fan was on blow, not suck. <laughs> She's gone from suck to blow. <laughs> and then Gallic goes with these two guys. They're doing a task. And both of those guys die. That's where Gallic sees him eating the brain. That's why they're the ones that are running. And Gallic legitimately had nothing to do with their deaths. Yeah, but they think he did. Yeah. Especially they... the warden. He's like, I think we need to come to terms with the fact that this nutcase probably killed these men. Right. And while you could probably, I would probably guess that too, given the context, it still does feel very much, you know, cops want to just sweep shit under the fucking rug. Yep. Uh-huh. Whatever the easiest solution is so we can just say it's solved, mm -hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Gallic is kept in the infirmary, though, because he's pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. When she does bring Bishop back to life, mm -hmm. I, I felt it was extremely I, you, I think, walked out of the room for that moment, but it felt very Terminator when she's putting him back together. Oh, putting him back together. Yeah, I didn't see that. It felt like with the lighting and the way she's sitting and she's doing the stuff, it all, it felt very much like Linda Hamilton putting him back together. Which came out a year prior to this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so sad when she brings him back to life. He goes, my legs hurt. Yeah. Uh-huh. He also says, I like your new haircut. <laughs> Bishop's the fucking best. I love Bishop. He's so good. Mm -hmm. Which is why you get really mad later. Yes. <laughs> so she starts, Ripley starts finally like trying to assess the situation. And she's like, all right, what kind of weapons do y'all have here? And they're like, we don't have any weapons. Yeah. We're You're on a maximum security prison and you have no weapons of any kind. Because there is no way to get off this fucking planet. Yeah, what would be the point? And if they killed me, the people that came here with the supplies would just kill them. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's no point. That's why, that's what he means when he says the honor system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, we can count on that. Yeah, so she's just like, well, then we are fucked. <laughs> yep. So she goes to the doctor. She's like, there's got to be a way to escape, right? This, he's, by the way, is where we get the doctor's story. And he's like, nah, dog. They only come every six months. That's it. There is no other way off this rock. But that's all okay, Ripley, because the company is coming for you. We're all going to be saved. It's all okay. But, of course, she knows that Waylon Yutani does not have anyone's best interests at heart. Yep. Also, we get a fun line of Gallic when he is in the infirmary 
he's just whispering to himself and he ends up being a dick. He ends up telling Ripley, you're going to die or whatever. Yeah. But he does say, and the doctor says, that's very profound, Golic. He goes, I don't know why everybody blames everybody for everything. Nobody's perfect, only human. There's no such thing as a perfect human. In an insane world, a sane man must appear insane. Very, very profound. But since we already get all of Clemens' story and he served his entire utility to the plot, it's time for him to die. So it's Ripley talking to Golic in the presence of Dr. Clemens, Charles Dance. And then the alien reveals himself. Golic freaks out about it. Ripley recognizes, oh my God, it's here right now. And then it comes down and just mini mouth into the skull, just destroys his head. And it's right after we've heard his sob story. Yeah, He's like, uh-huh. do you trust me? Uh-huh. And yeah, and then immediately dead. It's very sad. So then, of course, Ripley runs to the wall, you know, because what else is she going to do? And she's expecting to be killed. And this is that famous shot. And she doesn't get killed there. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen. She doesn't know why. I have no idea. No clue. Mm -hmm. What could it be? I don't know. It recognizes her smell. Yeah, I I would assume so. (laughs) So Andrews, the warden, is giving a speech. Now that all this shit's going wrong and everyone's dying, he's giving a speech saying, all right, men, you know, stiff upper lip, chin up. Let's get back running at peak efficiency. And then Ripley comes running in going, holy shit. He's here. (laughs) He's here. He's here. You got Clemens. Stop this, Raviant one. I'm telling you. It's here. Get that foolish woman back to the infirmary. And he demands that she be removed from the room. They're already here. Yeah. They're behind you. <laughs> and They're here already. the warden gets his moment. It's just perfectly timed to an absurd degree. He demands that she go back to the infirmary and the alien comes from above and yanks him up. Immediately. <laughs> just immediately. It is a very deep blue sea moment. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then everyone freaks the fuck out. And Morse, who's an extra character here that actually, we haven't even talked about him yet, but he becomes a really important character by the end of the movie. Morse, played by Danny Webb, he gets one of his best lines in the entire movie, which is just a single fuck. <laughs> he just he, needs, he just grabs a chair and he's like, fuck! <laughs> Such a great delivery. I, I disagree. I felt it was awkward. I felt it kind of... It was fun. I felt they waited too long. No, I think that's what made it good. It's because everyone's on edge. And then, you know, oftentimes the scene cuts away and you don't see how that anxiety, how that tension releases itself. And that's what we got to see. Well, so there's going to be a ton of hullabaloo. And of course, of course, they're going to end up putting Ripley in charge. Now, initially, 85 is like, well, I should be in charge. But they're like, we're not going to fucking follow you, dude. So uh, they're going to follow Dylan. But Dylan says, I don't know anything about this fucking creature. We need to follow her. So they end up putting her in charge. And she's like, well, can you guys at least make fucking fire? Humans have been making that since the dawn of time. Yeah. And so they do. But unfortunately, their plan, of course, all goes to hell because the aliens just kind of watching them. 
in the back, in the shadows, just kind of watching them do their thing. And then eventually he eats one of them and they will drop a match and it's all very slow motion. The problem and cool thing about this moment is that they use a slow motion camera and it allows you to get just an insane number of frames per second. And you see everything, all the smooth motion and everything. But because they're filming on this very specific camera, the lighting is captured differently in a slow-mo rig. The aspect ratio is different. And so everything looks weird and sort of morphed. And it doesn't look real. But the slow, like the moment is really cool. It's one of those things where like, you know, given the technology, this would have been great. I see what they were going for here. Yeah, no, I liked it. I appreciated the shot. Yes, it's very early 90s, but I, the way it's filmed, but I thought it was, I appreciated it. I appreciated what they were going it's a, for. It's a great shot. It just wasn't pulled off well. But a whole lot of people die. Yeah, all these explosions <laughs> happen because they're preparing to kill the alien and setting all these explosives and gases and everything. It's a everywhere. great plan. Uh-huh. Just, you know. When you've got an alien involved, all your plans are going to go to hell. Yeah, one dude gets eaten by an alien and he drops the um, flare, I guess. This is around the time that Junior is going to sacrifice himself. He's the one who nearly raped her earlier in the film. And I don't know how you're supposed to feel about it. I mean, you know... He hasn't seen women in forever, but he's also like, you know, right. Are we being asked to excuse this behavior? He was a bad guy before. He was a bad guy in the moment after he's supposed to have been converted. But I guess, you know, when it counted complicated life, life counts all the time. The moment (laughs) where he tried to rape her, that moment counted the people he killed. Those moments counted. So You can't really say like, oh, when it really counted, he did the right thing. No, because he did the wrong thing in a lot of times when it really counted. <laughs> so it's a little weird that they're basically trying to vindicate him or redeem him at the end because he is in this radioactive chamber, this chamber where they're going to put radioactive waste, which apparently is a holdover from an older script, maybe Rennie Harlan's script or something like that. That's what they were going to do on this planet is they were going to dispose of radioactive waste. So they have this chamber that now in this version of the movie has never been used. It's completely clean and it has only one entrance and exit. And he is inside of that and he convinces the alien, he teases it to come inside and they're a lot, they're able to close the door and they just have to listen to him be devoured. Now, did you get a Riddick feel from this character? He wears glasses, just like Riddick. He wears an A shirt. He's got muscles. I mean, he's got a shaved head. It, it feels very... Maybe. Feels I very can Riddick. see. Yeah. But again, David Toohey was long gone by this point. Yeah, but I have a feeling he liked this movie. <laughs> I don't and think he had way, a good relationship with them. And by the way, if you're not listening to that episode because you're like, Chronicles of Riddick isn't a horror movie, Pitch Black is. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Chronicles of Riddick is weird and you should watch it. <laughs> Love those movies. Watch, (laughs) listen to that episode. (laughs) He almost rips a guy's soul out in Chronicles of Earth. Come on. (laughs) Well, somebody else That's a horror movie. (laughs) Anyway, so 85 cannot wrap his mind around the idea that the government is evil and wants- That Weyland-Yutani is evil, yeah. Weyland-Yutani. Effectively the government. Wants to take this alien back with it. He's like, they're not lunatics. They wouldn't do that. But even when he's basically confronted with the fact that, no, they will, and you are expendable. Like, 
for a long time, he doesn't fight back. And then when he does, it's so lame. Yes. It's very sad. I'm telling you, he didn't even have that originally. Well, I say originally, but after he got the rewrites, somebody slid the rewrites under his door in his trailer, like while he was on set for the next day or something like that. And it's like, what the fuck is this character? <laughs> Could you imagine? That would suck. Yeah. But yeah, she has to convince everybody, including Morse, who is also on the side of 85, who's like, no, this all fucking sucks. I don't owe anybody anything. I am just going to sit it out and don't have to do shit. So because of Junior's sacrifice, they are able to contain the alien. Yeah. But of course, as we have already told you, Golic is going to let it out. He ends up killing... One person. Well... The other one he knocks out. He knocks out the person in the infirmary who's supposed to be watching him. Who lets him go because he feels bad for him. Let's him go. He's chained up. Oh, he unchains him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knocks him out after he gets the information of where it's being held. And then doesn't he kill both of... There are two guards. Doesn't he kill both of them? It's just one guard. He slits oh, his throat. Okay. And he says sorry when he does it. Mm-hmm. Which is fun. He's crazy. Yes, he is. And he ends up letting it out and is like, oh, God, you're the dragon of such and such. And then he gets killed immediately. Yeah. uh Which I appreciated. I appreciated that they kept the alien an an animal, which they do not do in life. Yeah, man, how they treat. It's weird because. I would say I would definitely say that the xenomorph is intelligent. Yes, this but is what I'm saying. In the way that an animal but is But in life, they make the alien more sinister, I think, than even the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. And when it should have been the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about life when we get to it. So somewhere around here, Ripley gets an x-ray and we get the bad news. <laughs> I think you've got one inside of you. I think it might be Dylan that does this sort of ultrasound thing on it and we're able to see... That she definitely has one inside of her, but it looks a little different. Has those arms, just like the queen. So the story that we're getting here is that while they're in cryosleep and there was a facehugger still on board, at least two now we know of. One impregnated her with the new queen and then died and was tossed free or whatever. Because normally they die on your face, right? And then they could be taken off, but they don't crawl off and die somewhere else. And then another one got the cow after the landing. And that's how the one that's running around was created. So there are now two xenomorphs that we have to worry about. One of which is the queen, which is why the xenomorph didn't attack her when it had the opportunity. Keeping in mind though, it also had the opportunity, which Kelsey pointed out when we were watching, to kill Golic, and it did not. Yes. And you could come up with a bunch of rationalizations, which I did, I can, but that's all they are is just rationalizations. The movie should have been clear Mm -hmm. about why that is. Yes. Because you could argue, well, he didn't go after him because he wasn't an immediate threat. But the alien kills Yeah, the very next kill is Andrews. Yeah. A room full of people that were very much a threat. Yeah. So, doesn't make any sense. Well, it can make sense- but you have to do that on your own in a way that's not really that compelling. It just feels like I'm making excuses for the movie and not exploring something that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But they needed him to live so he could let yeah. him out. So Ripley is just like, okay, fuck it. I'm dying. <laughs> I will do this suicide mission. I have two things to worry about. Number one, kill this xenomorph so Waylon yutani can't get their hands on it. Number two, 
kill me and Dylan, this is what's going to happen. You and I, we're going to kill the xenomorph and then you are going to kill me. That's how that's going to work. Because Ripley's a fucking badass. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Ripley does what needs to get done. As, which is why it should have ended after this movie. This should have been the end. <laughs> how incredible would that be? You could feel like it's wrapped up. The queen was going to be dead. I don't remember Resurrection, so I <sighs> will wait until I've rewatched it. Ripley's in it once. somehow. <laughs> anyway. So they do this elaborate thing where we get a long section of the movie where all the people are working to funnel it down to where the incinerators are. And so it's a lot of running around and closing doors and, you oh, know, it's one of those moments. this is a lot of moments. fun. It it's is. It's a lot of fun. But there's not a lot for us to talk about. No. It's them shouting at each other down the hallways to close these doors and open these doors and run in this direction. And, and then people running into each other because they're getting very confused and it's hard to keep track of everything. It is a great moment, but there's not a lot to talk about besides just seeing it, you know? Until eventually they get it funneled down into one of these vats where they will pour the molten lava and Dylan's on one side of it and Ripley's on the other right and then he he sacrifices himself I forget the logic here like why wouldn't oh because it won't kill her so it needed to it needed to kill somebody she couldn't act as bait there is a moment though where he gets that gets the alien to follow him by grabbing her and threatening her and that's how they get it to go in there yes and then she has to climb out and he has to stay down there so they can pour the molten ore. I think that maybe that steam might have been too much for oh, these yeah, people to be no around. Oh, yeah, there's no way they would have been as close to this stuff as they are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Because I've had nearly been burned by steam just from my own kitchen. Yes. Steam's and crazy. This is, this is effectively lava. <laughs> right? Like, so it's it's very, very hot steel. Or iron. So it gets poured on the alien, but it's not dead. Yeah, so it gets poured in. Morse is the one who does it. So, like, the only people that are left that are doing anything about this are Ripley, Dylan, and Morse. 85 is back meeting Waylon yutani as they're coming in. Who's, who's just like, where's Ripley? Yeah, and... Come bursting out of the molten ore is the alien. I didn't like this. I didn't like it. I think that's stupid. It's because of Terminator, man. You can shoot a bullet. Like the reason you don't shoot it is because it gets acid blood everywhere, right? It's not because it can withstand gunshot wounds. You can shoot it and it gets a gunshot wound. So it's not like its exoskeleton is really, really tough and can withstand these temperatures. It's not at all the case. Like at the end of the first Alien movie, it's really beat up. That's why it's on her escape pod trying to hide. Like, they're not invincible. Turrets took out a lot of them in Aliens. So the fact that it survives and jumps out of this all covered in this ore, which is starting to dry, but it's splashing everywhere. They would have been so dead by now. But between Morse and Ripley, they're able to release the showers. And for whatever reason... The xenomorph solidifies, good, and then explodes. Terminator. The T-1000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's all the T-1000 right there. I was totally fine with just the ore on its own. <laughs> I didn't need that extra moment of, bah, it's, it's, it's not dead. I didn't need that. Didn't need it, and I didn't need it exploding for no good goddamn reason. <laughs> 
So Morse is alive, Ripley's alive, and Waylon Yutani shows up with 85. With a bullshit. Yes. With a man. Bishop. With Bishop. And she's like, oh my God, Bishop. <laughs> and he's like, yes and no. <laughs> I'm not a droid. I'm human. I'm the one who created Bishop. I just made him look exactly like me. Yeah. Well, it's like in- That's uh, not narcissistic at all. It's like in Terminator 3 in the outtakes, we get to see who the Terminator oh, is based Schwarzenegger. on. Schwarzenegger. And it's Schwarzenegger, and he yeah. has a really stupid voice. Oh, <laughs> But we got to change that voice. And he's trying to convince her to, no, we just want to get it out of you. We want to save your life and kill this thing. And she's like- Fuck you. There is no way in hell I can trust you. Not at all. He's saying he was sent so I could be a familiar face and you might trust me more. It's like, why would you reveal that to her? Yeah, exactly. Whatever. But 85 starts feeling really bad and starts believing Ripley and ends up like hitting one of them with a pole. And then he just gets killed. Yeah. And and Morse gets shot and human bishop is like, stop firing, stop firing. Like they really don't want her shot. Yeah. And so she's like, all we could learn from it. Yeah. Fuck this. And she just falls backwards into the molten ore. Way to go, Ripley. Yeah. It's your only option and you took it. In the theatrical version, you get a last minute pop out of the baby queen from her chest right before she hits. And I'm really glad that the assembly cut took that out. Yeah, I am too. That would have been really, really stupid. Agreed. And that's basically the end of the movie there. Morse lives. Morse is the only one who lives. Good for you. Although Morse. he's shot. <laughs> True. Anything else to say about Alien 3? It's not nearly as bad as everyone says it is. Right? It has problems, but I I thoroughly, I enjoyed it. And I think it's a solid piece of the franchise. If the franchise was just Alien, Aliens, Alien Cubed, I would be so happy. It would be a solid trilogy. Um, Prometheus isn't as bad as we thought it was. We no, I mean, I, as, sep- as a separate entity, sure. But like, they don't, they didn't need to keep like, Futzing with it. Could have done without Covenant. Yeah. Could have a- done without it. AVP. But I... Like, I don't need any of that. Upon re-watching uh, Prometheus, I'm not, I don't hate it as much. Sure. Yeah. With all of that in mind, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Before you say anything, the first Alien had a 97 Rotten Tomatoes. Aliens also has a 97. What do you think this has? 58. 45. Alien 3 takes admirable risks with franchise mythology, but far too few pay off in a thinly scripted sequel whose stylish visuals aren't enough to enliven a lack of genuine thrills. I agree. One of the biggest problems with this movie is its script. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, and it would be great if this was the first, you know, like really canonical david fincher movie but i guess this kind of had to happen if we were going to get the rest of them i don't know i can still see like my problem with fincher it's the same problem i have uh with like panic room right because i love seven and of course fight club is my favorite but in my opinion like this in panic room when i when i become aware of the shots that's a problem you know, when I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I can see you wanted us to go down this way so that we'd see it this from this perspective. Okay. All yeah, right, like when sure it goes down it. that shaft, is they're having that conversation? Yeah. Like, that's such a great you, shot. You really liked it. He I, loves elaborate camera motion. I know. 
And in certain things, it really works. Like mm-hmm. in Fight Club, when he's going through the trash. Yeah. Fantastic. He that's also because it also works thematically. He also really loves a camera that focuses in on a character and moves when the character moves. We didn't get as much of that in this. Very, very little of it, actually. But you do see some of it. Yes, and I like that. Like in Seven, when he's focused in on Brad Pitt and we follow Brad Pitt's movements and thoughts. I like that. But here it was just, I just want the camera to move. So I'm going to do this. Uh-huh. The, the motion isn't as motivated as it would be later on in his career. Yes. Sure. But, I mean, everyone has to start somewhere. And yes. I think this is a fantastic start. Yes. It sure ain't a 45. It has a Metacritic of 59 and a cinema score of C. Going back to the previous movies, we gave Alien a 95 and a 100, respectively. Aliens, a 97 and a 95, respectively. What would you give Alien 3? I'll give it a 63. I still say that's too low. Yeah. Yeah, I would give this... Oh, um, mid to high 70s. Wow. It's got problems. It's got a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, I think it's too long. Even though I see why it's as long as it is, there is a lot going on in this film. But I don't know that all of that needed to be in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like we said, he didn't get a chance to actually edit it down to the final version. He was like, fuck this. He was also the only one in this collection, the only director, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, whoever the fuck did Resurrection. (laughs) They all came back to participate in this new collection of films. And he was like, no. Absolutely not. I would rather that that movie had never happened. The only way I would come back to this movie is if we got to burn the negatives and start over from scratch. He hated this movie. I mean, it's every time that Alien is on screen and it's not like a close up of the face. And even then, like, it's like not I physically said, there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Even then, though, like I said, that famous, famous shot, if you're paying really close attention to that puppet, the smaller one does not move very well. You know, there's just little things like that. Ugh. But yeah, whenever whenever it's like walking around and it's small, ooh, it's just so glaring. Like, oh, it's not even there at all. Yeah, uh-huh. Especially um, when you're looking at it on Blu-ray. <laughs> when a lot of this movie looks really good on Blu-ray. And then you just you can just see all the imperfections. Mm-hmm. And there's just there's a lot of the prison life that we don't need going on here. And yes, does it give lots of flavor and life? Yes. Does it make it feel real? Yes. Did I need to watch it? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I say, there's a lot of it that kind of just redoes what happens in Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, except now instead of space marines with guns. We have a bunch of prisoners with no weapons. And religion. And religion. Yeah. So, like, there's there's interesting little fluctuations. Like, it it belongs here. It's just the worst of the three. Mm-hmm. For sure. But it is not a bad movie. Again, Return yeah. of the Jedi, the worst of the three. I'll give it, I'll give it a 68. I'm not asking you to change your score. I'll give it 5% more. Okay. I think you should give it 5 more, but... I'm not asking you to actually change your your rating here. No. All right. That is Alien 3 and the end of the Alien franchise. No more movies for us to watch. Ha ha. 
You know, Winona Ryder is in it. I do know that. And God, Sigourney Weaver looks just, they put her in this like <laughs> sleeveless vest thing with a high collar and. Doesn't she wear a sleeveless vest in one? Isn't that what she's wearing? She one? wears a tank top at one point. That's in two. No, in one. She like strips down. No, she wears like, she has sleeves and everything. Yeah. She wears like a like a whole coveralls. But my point is, is she looks, I, I hate to harp on her looks because it's crazy because I think younger Sigourney Weaver looks incredible. Older Sigourney Weaver looks incredible. <laughs> the one in Resurrection, whatever they did to her, <laughs> she looks not great. But How maybe that's the you. point. Maybe that's the point. I mean, it's called Resurrection because they bring her back from the dead. It's Sigourney Reeve Weaver and it's Ripley. But it's not Ripley because she's a clone. She didn't have the experiences of Ripley. I I need to rewatch it. I've only seen the movie once, Mm -hmm. just like with this one. And I'm really glad I saw it a second time. Who knows? I might feel the same way about Resurrection when we watch that. (laughs) Thank you for watching this movie for my birthday, Kelsey. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That is Alien 3 slash Alien Cubed, which is how it was originally marketed from 1992. Moving on to our modern movie, 2017's Life, directed by Daniel Espinoza, written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, Ryan Reynolds, Hiroyuki Sonata, Olga Dekovichnaya, and Arian Bakare. Hiroyuki Sonata, do you recognize him, Kelsey? He looked very familiar. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been in a couple Marvel movies, as have Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. Who was he? He was in The Wolverine, which takes place in Japan. I, I don't know if you ever... Did you ever see that one? I, I've seen it once. Okay. I don't right. remember anything about it, but I remember that I've seen it. That's not where you know him from. Okay. You know him from when he already did a better version of the nightmare horror movie in space in 2007. I was going to say, wasn't he in Sunshine? Yes. Can Is you... It- do you remember his name? No, but isn't he the captain? I think so, or yeah. some important role, yeah, or like the, the navigator captain. or something like that. Yeah, I remember he's really important. Do you remember his name? Show? In this. <laughs> do you remember his name in Sunshine? No. What if I said to you, Tetsuo! Canada! Yeah. <laughs> do you remember when this movie was coming out? Like when it was first advertised? It came out in 2017, right? Yeah. I do not remember when it was first advertised. I do, because it was like this thing where they were making a a Venom movie, which they very much were at the time. And then this came out, and it was like, oh man, there's a thing that they found in space, and it can move around all weird, and it attaches to people, and oh my god, does that have a face now? Like, everyone thought it was the symbiote from Spider-Man, and this was going to be about Venom. Like, how Venom got to Earth. And uh, no, it absolutely was not. not but I really, really remember that. There was like this what sort of paranoia were? about it. Yeah, what if it were? What if it were? What if it were? Why do you do that? That's what you did. <laughs> Interestingly, footage in one of the commercials that they did for this movie included some footage that was also used in Spider-Man 3. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. What the one with Venom. What footage? Just B-roll footage. Oh. Like extra footage, not actors or anything like that. That's odd. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that happen often? Oh, B-roll footage? Yeah. 
Really? Huh? A lot of times you can just buy a license to use it and there are libraries and stuff like that. <laughs> but if you want your movie to have a certain feel, then you film it yourself. But if you're doing like news footage or footage of uh, a crowd or something like that, you might just use B-roll from something else. It makes sense. What is life about? <laughs> That's a heavy question. It's pretty much <laughs> alien. I mean, these people are out in space looking for, well, they weren't looking for life, I guess. But these people are looking for life uh, and they find it on Mars. And then they break quarantine and then, yeah, yeah. uh-huh. And you know the story. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very alien. Sure, yeah, uh-huh. Which is why it's coupled this week with Alien 3 is the classic movie. Yes. Alien Cubed. Alien Cubed. It is available if you have a subscription to Spectrum On Demand. Otherwise, you can rent it for $4 and buy it for 13 Although for some reason it's listed as $8 on Apple, so get it while it's hot, I guess. Should people watch Life? Tragically, no. I don't think you have to. You shouldn't. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that you should not watch it. I would say you don't have to. It's a bitter disappointment because it has a lot of potential and it's not good. Yeah, and I like as the movie goes along, I don't know if it's a combination of the movie getting worse or, you know, more and more of your expectations aren't being met as the time <laughs> goes on. Yeah. Like I something like that happens and it's just kind of disappointing because I will say this, there are so many elements of this movie that are legitimately good. Yeah. There's some good acting, although I know Kelsey has comments about certain choices that are made. Yes, I do. <laughs> I think it's fine. The and best actor in this dies first. Spoilers. <laughs> Who's the best actor, people who haven't seen the movie yet? <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I would say the best acting in this movie is the person who dies first. You mean, oh, you're talking about specifically in this film. Yes. You don't, the, you don't, you mean in general, he's not the best actor. Yes. Uh huh. He's a great actor. He's just not the best in this cast, which is so funny because of the comments that I know Kelsey's going to have. <laughs> this movie is also like, it does a really, really good job of being like thrilling. Yeah. Like, it's very exciting. And so you might be wondering, Okay, why aren't we supposed to watch this movie? Because they it's, did everything wrong. Yeah, well, it's like, it's just so, like, it's just generically exciting. It seems I mean, just look, so incredibly who uninspired. Who doesn't get excited about the idea of life in space? Yeah. Uh -huh. Right? That is an exciting concept. And yeah. watching these people who have spent their entire lives dedicated to this, developing it and seeing it, it's very exciting. Yeah. And then you make, and then you watch these people who are supposed to be, like, some of the smartest people on the planet make the dumbest decisions. <laughs> so much of the ethical considerations in this movie, so much of the dialogue in this movie is devoted to questioning the quarantine. <laughs> and it is so frustrating because they make the point over and over and over again in the movie that basically everything that could possibly go wrong we already thought about, I know the situation is really shitty and it seems really dire, but we already thought about this situation. That's why we put the quarantine protocols in place. This decision has already been made. Yeah, but look, the stand said it well. Quarantine doesn't work. <laughs> 
It did not say it well. Quarantine works if you do the quarantine. Right, but they, but <laughs> humans can't do quarantine. Oh, is that it? Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> what? I'm not saying that I agree with it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that. I'm a Ripley 100%. It's a hell of a revelation that humans are incapable right, there's of nothing, just. Yeah, I get it. Of, of not putting their selfish interests in front of the good of everyone else and the most vulnerable selfish among us. interest of not wanting to watch someone die. To, <laughs> to actually just quarantine. Well, guess what happened? He watched a whole hell of a lot more people die. Oh, no, wait, he didn't because he was the first one to die. <laughs> Like, this is my point. Like, it's just like, ah, it's an argument that they have repeatedly and repeatedly in the movie. And it's like, yes, we already thought all of this. We already communicated all of this. You already signed off on all of this. Why is this news to everybody now? Now, you guys might be thinking, hey, they did that in Alien and you weren't this mad about it. We were mad about it. We were mad about it. (laughs) But that was characters being stupid. This is the movie and every single character in it making piss poor decisions when they keep repeating over and over again this is the way to do it safe we're gonna stick to this way and then they don't and it's just so (laughs) frustrating that the movie thinks it's having some sort of philosophical conversation and it's not anyway that is why you probably shouldn't watch the movie it's not worth watching if you happen to stumble upon it you'll notice that they do a lot of stuff really really well but it's just as a whole not good enough to recommend no yeah You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2017's life. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. I see it. The mission's primary goal has been achieved. We're looking at a large single cell, biological. I'd hate to jump the gun, but I think it's time. We're looking at the first proof of life. Beyond Earth. You finally a daddy. It's gonna be a big custody battle over this one. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. You. We set sail. We ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. This nation will continue to be a pioneer in the new frontier of space. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does life begin? We get to see... What is what is it? It's a um, 
The International Space Station. No, but we're, we're, no. We start with the thing flying through space. It's a thing that has the soil samples. Oh, it's like the, the, the land, ro- the, it's the Mars rover or whatever. So yeah. we get to see mm-hmm. the Mars rover hurtling through space. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it got added back onto the capsule that takes it out of the, off the planet of Mars, and something's gone wrong. Yeah, and I've read online that what they do here is completely impossible. What do you mean that what they do here is completely impossible? The thing with the arm, how they're going to catch it. I've read that it's just completely impossible. Oh, when it's coming at that speed, it would have ripped the arm right off. Yeah, that's what I've read. Yeah, yeah so this is it. this is the International Space Station that's awaiting the arrival of these soil samples from Mars so they can study them in space as opposed to bringing them back down to Earth because that's one of the quarantine protocols. And I got to say... I love this sequence. It's a big old fake wonder. It's a huge, huge bummer that it's not possible. And I yeah. really liked this sequence. Just, I thought the narration was great. Uh-huh. I thought everything you're about to talk about, the wonder sequence, uh, Ryan Reynolds yes. acting, I, I thought it was so, so good. And then I find out, no, it couldn't have yeah, happened. No. If Go. it would have hit it at that speed, it would have ripped that arm right off. That sure. sucks. Yeah. Uh-huh. But what's happening here is that they know that this rocket effectively is coming towards them at speed that it shouldn't be. And they're going to catch it. And Ryan Reynolds is the one whose job it is to actually go out there and control the arm and everything. I don't remember why he had to go out there to control the arm. Because usually all that shit's controlled from right? the inside. Right, I thought about that too. Yeah. That didn't make sense But to me. we just need to understand that these are the stakes. And we get a one where it doesn't cut away. They hide the cuts in between like people brushing up against the camera or going past it or whatever. I think there's a lot of wire work going on here. I asked you that. I Maybe like- a little bit of like the, the vomit comet. But the vomit comet's only a couple of seconds. And some of these shots are really long. And you'll notice that they move kind of laterally. Like in a straight line, <laughs> you know, yes. because they're just being carried by cables at this point that then get taken out. That's my but best guess. it looked guess. really smooth. It did, yeah. And we're traveling around the International Space Station. It might look a little bit different because they modified it for the purposes of this movie and then explained it away as new modifications to the space station, which happens in real life. They're all getting ready to catch this capsule and it's this big thing and Ryan Reynolds is really funny. And they catch it. They succeed. And guess who the worst actor is in this scene? I'm going to guess that Kelsey's going to say Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Who I think is the best actor of the bunch. Outside of this Outside film. of this movie, yes. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I mm-hmm. love me some Jake Gyllenhaal. I am a Donnie Darko fan. If you don't <laughs> like Jake Gyllenhaal for whatever reason, because you're an insane person, watch like... Sack lunch bunch, (laughs) if you want to go one direction. Sack lunch bunch? Yeah, he made a guest appearance on John Mulaney's Netflix show, The Sack Lunch Bunch. And yes, the other one on the other end of that spectrum I was going to say is Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler was an incredible performance. And when I left that theater, I think I said it on this show before, I said that was an absolutely stellar movie that I will never watch again. <laughs> I walked away feeling gross. Yeah, but it's so and good. And it's all because of the incredible acting on Jake Gyllenhaal's part. So he makes some interesting decisions because that's what Jake Gyllenhaal does. But they are kind of weird. The fact of the matter is, 
he might be going a little bit crazy. Like he might be getting a little bit of cabin fever, but it doesn't really play an element in the movie. Not in any all. way. Yeah. The fact that he's getting cabin fever, the fact that he would rather be in space than on Earth does play an important part in the movie. But every decision he makes in this movie sticks out and not in a good way because it doesn't lead to anything. He, in fact, stays sane the entire film. <laughs> he yeah. will be like the rock of the film. So yeah. why is he playing him like he's going nuts? Yeah, he's one of the few people that doesn't make a piss poor decision in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Which, you it, it, you know, I'll give it that. It does kind of subvert your expectation there. Because when you watch this for the first time, you're thinking, oh, he's going to be the one that goes crazy. And no. Uh uh-uh. But yes, he makes some choices, I will say, in this movie. He gives some looks. He does things with his eyes and his mouth that, like, you seem like you're a little nutty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's probably, he's probably trying to evoke somebody who might have space madness. <laughs> no, I, and that's fine if your character goes there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if that was, if it was headed there. Mm-hmm. So they do catch it. And Ryan Reynolds says, Q Instagram. And I've got to say, guys. Oh, no. Every single year, I do an Instagram uh, project with my kids on the first day, like the first week of school. Where they get to draw a picture of themselves. And uh, a kid asked, what's Instagram? Uh, It's gone. It's fucking gone. And I never got into it. Might as well have said MySpace. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But Hugh, Arian Bakari is the one who ends up taking the picture. He's a photographer. And he takes a picture from inside of... Ryan Reynolds outside and the capsule caught on the arm. So he is the exobiologist, I guess. Something. <laughs> He's going to be the one who interacts with Calvin. Yes. Uh, the mo for for the majority of this part of the film. Yes. So he's going to be the one who like brings it back to life, which seems super irresponsible. Well, I mean, it is their job to study the thing. So their job is to bring an unknown entity to life? To see how it reacts to different environments? Yeah. Like, you don't know what's going to bring it back to life. He didn't resuscitate it. But he was trying to. He was trying to see how it would respond. Whatever. This is, like, the most incredible creature in the universe. Yes. Do you want to tell them what this thing can do and how quickly it develops? Because... When we meet it, it's essentially been frozen for millennia, right? Do they ever say? I don't know if they say explicitly in the movie, but yeah, I mean, it's been hibernating this entire time is what looks to be like a single-celled organism with a cellular wall and a nucleus, and then it gets more complex, and it has, like, cilia, and what they describe as even longer cilia, like, flagella, and it just gets, like, bigger and bigger and bigger once they wake it up. And the main thing that they do is get the atmosphere in, like, the perfect place. Remember that it's in a box, and they control the atmosphere in that box. Just remember that going to be important for later. (laughs) I would also like to point out that that box is not at all safe. I mean, the thing gets out. 
the fact that those gloves are so easily broken through, that's a problem. Yeah, I don't believe that the gloves would be like that. That thin? Yeah, I mean, they, they do seem like if you could see through it and it's not solid, like glass or something like that, I would say no. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do I get to see through these gloves? Why isn't it a material that's more, it's stronger, you mm-hmm. know? But whatever, that's, it's it's a visual thing. You could just say that, oh, glad we invented the whatever rubber and... They make a fun joke uh-huh. where Hugh is trying to bring Calvin to life, and Ryan Reynolds says, This is some reanimator shit. And the Russian lady goes, oh, That's a very obscure reference. And Hugh says, Not for a nerd. Not for a nerd. And great. then Ryan Reynolds says, Not if you're a nerd. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so good. I really, really enjoy it. And is this supposed, is this supposed to be 2017? Is it supposed to be present day? It might be a little bit in the future. They don't say a date. They call it the Mars Pilgrim 7 mission day one. I would imagine that it's sometime in the near future, just because it's Mars Pilgrim 7. Like, they've done a few missions, you know. It's a little bit into the future. And I think it finally moves and we get a title card. Yeah. Now, this thing is going to get more and more complex. It's going to replicate cells and it starts to get these weird sort of shapes and Hugh starts to get like infatuated with it. Where do we get the name Calvin from, Kelsey? It's really cute. It's so cute. They're being interviewed by these elementary school kids and they don't explain what the schools had to do to get picked or anything. But but they won a contest. Yes. And it's this national event. Uh Uh-huh. And um, international, I would assume. I would assume. Yeah. So why is it America that gets to do it? (laughs) Because they needed the name Calvin. Yes. Why do you think they wanted Calvin? They needed a name that sounded friendly. Because it's a point of contention later on in the movie. Calvin That Hugh keeps calling it Calvin. Calvin is one of my favorite boys' names. It's a cute name. It's cute Because of Calvin and Hobbes, right? Yes. Uh Uh, (laughs) And it's because theirs is... Calvin Coolidge. Yeah. I think it might be a middle school. They're elementary for sure. They look like fifth graders to me. But they are so cute. And they're asking them questions. And they ask them about how to go to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, no. Those are always questions that astronauts get asked. They do this kind of stuff. They do interviews with, like, classrooms and stuff like that. I've only ever seen that in movies. I've never seen that inside a classroom. Well, we didn't have a lot of people... In outer space when we were kids. Hmm. You know, just like up in the International Space Station. Challenger exploded like right before I started school. I remember that was a big school thing. I don't know if maybe they were a little bit more tentative about putting that kind of stuff in classrooms (laughs) after Challenger. Could you imagine? What a terrible tragedy and everyone watched it. Jesus. Yeah. Can you believe all the conspiracy theorists? Yeah. Oh, you see this thing falling this way? And ugh. Ugh. Just gross. That's such a sad idea. Mm hmm. That we'd be willing to murder people just to not prove that we can't do it. Mm-hmm. David plays with a yo yo in space. Yeah. Jake so, Gyllenhaal's character. Yeah. So he hangs out 
I don't know. They just kind of expect you to understand where he is in the spaceship. Yeah. Because we understand that stuff. It's not a ship, it's a station. Okay. <laughs> he hangs out in a place where the radiation is really high. But it's like super alone because he likes to be alone. Well, I think the the radiation that they're talking about, I think, is general as well, because it's like from the sun. Do you mean do you mean that when she says you've been up here too long, she just means space, space. in general? Yeah, I know I know for a fact that that's what she's talking about. Oh, yeah. I thought she was talking about a specific spot no. that you're not supposed to hang out like in sunshine. Yeah. No. Like how He is sitting in front of a window, but there are a lot of windows on that space station. <laughs> and yeah, you've been up here too long is because it goes into his character. He loves space. He wishes he could just spend his entire life in space. He does not want to go back to Earth. And so what he's dealing with is the realities of somebody being in space for too long. His muscles are starting to atrophy and all of that, which is weird. It's so Weird, because I'm about to tell you something really interesting. It's not going to sound like it is. <laughs> David is the medical officer. Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> this you know bothered Chris so much. You know who's not the medical officer? Rebecca Ferguson. She's not the medical officer. She's the quarantine specialist. Yet she's the one giving everyone their physicals and doing physical therapy for Hugh, who doesn't have the use of his legs. Like... Why wasn't David doing any of this? The one thing medical that David does is he checks on people's heart rate. He monitors their heart rate, a thing that anybody on the shuttle could do. Well, he talks about how their safety is in his hands all the time. <laughs> but he doesn't fucking do anything. It is odd. It is. But he's off be he's off brooding. He doesn't have time to yeah, take care of everybody. I guess not. But it just it they don't do a great job of setting up what everyone's roles are. Like you kind of figure it out. Yeah. But a lot of them are really, really vague. And then when they do say like definite roles, then they don't have they have different people performing those functions. And it's like, what are you trying to do here, movie? Yeah. What are you doing to me? But they needed Rebecca Ferguson, who is effectively our main character. To like, she's our Ripley. She needs to be the sympathetic one. She needs to be the the caring one. She needs to be the one that we instinctually care for and love. Yeah, it's almost like they had to split Ripley in two because we couldn't possibly have it be a woman. What do you mean? I mean that they split Ripley between Jake Gyllenhaal and this... Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca yeah. Ferguson because... She's screwed out of being the hero at the end of the film. She kind of is. Yeah, it because Jake Gyllenhaal is like the one who takes action. He's the one who puts everyone else's needs in front of his own. And, you know, he gets to play the hero role, despite the fact that our hero this entire time has been Rebecca Ferguson, which, again, is so weird because she's the quarantine specialist. And it's like they break down her character's importance and magnitude as the movie goes on. And it continues to question the usefulness of quarantine, while at the same time, that being their goal, their stated goal at all points is to maintain a quarantine or put up a new line of quarantine or what this and that and the other thing. And then every other character saying, no, we have to break quarantine. So it's like the movie doesn't know what to believe in, and it doesn't know who we as the audience should be believing in, should be putting our belief in. Because it's kind of Rebecca Ferguson, and then she's just a nothing burger of a character in the last act. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. They didn't think that it could be a woman, which is a big disappointment in 2017. 
Yeah. Do you recognize Rebecca Ferguson? Not really. You should. Why? She's Rose the Hat. Oh, shit. What an accent and an outfit can do. (laughs) Yeah, she was Rose the Hat in Doctor Sleep. We should also mention that the reason he's all brooding is because he was in Syria. He saw all kinds of shit. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't like Earth and he doesn't like other people. And yeah. Yeah. And I guess at the end, it's supposed to be that he realizes that all creatures are like that. But he doesn't really come to that conclusion ever. Anyway, so Hugh is Hugh is overcome by this feeling of being a god. He, you know, on Earth was always confined to his wheelchair. Which, by the way, he says that we don't know who created the wheelchair. Is that true? Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't hate my chair. I love it. For the sake of the anonymous genius who invented it. I looked this up. And it is remarkable how contested this is. The first known wheelchair, like a chair with wheels that people who could not move or could not walk on their own, uh, they couldn't ambulate, as it were, was created by some unknown inventor for Philip II of Spain in 1595, and it was called an invalid's chair. We have no idea who that was. In 1655, a watchmaker named Stephen Farfler, who was paraplegic, built his own self-propelled chair. Because he's like a watchmaker. He knows how these, like, machines work, right? Because you just wind them up and then they go. Yeah, right? That was in the 1600s. Now, the first wheelchair as we know it today, where it's got, like, the metal tubes and everything, and it uh, folds up. That was invented in 1932 by Harry Jennings. So we know what that is. And he made it for a friend of his. How interesting. Yeah. and then, But then there's a lot of content around that because they basically monopolized the wheelchair industry and were the recipients of an antitrust suit by the Department of Justice. <laughs> but yeah, we don't know who invented the first wheelchair. But so he's going to get this kind of God complex because of Calvin. And that God complex is going to lead to him being sloppy. Yep. But it's not going to go away after that. And that's a problem. I'm fine with him having it. Fine with him making a mistake. I'm fine with him being the cause of everyone's deaths. Hugh is (laughs) a sympathetic character that wears out all patience you might have for him. Yeah. By the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, he just fuck he, up after fuck up. But he never lets go of his love for this thing. And it's just like. He's the one that needs to be chastised for continuing to call it Calvin. Yeah. You know? Ryan It's not Reynolds your buddy. It's not your kid. Yeah. Because he ends up making a huge mistake and the thing ends up, like, seizing up or whatever. Going yeah. into hibernation. Uh-huh. And yeah, Ryan Reynolds gives such a good performance in this movie. And it's a real fucking shame that he dies first. And it's all Hugh's fault. No, it's not. <laughs> Would you like to know whose fault it is? I guess you could say it's Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' fault because he made the decision to go in. No, the reason that Ryan Reynolds dies so early in this movie. Yeah. 
was because he was contractually obligated to the hitman's bodyguard. We never saw that, did we? We never did, no. Uh, but the hitman's wife's bodyguard or whatever came out recently, right? Oh, so or it must have been good. Out. Yeah, it came out this year. Hitman's wife's bodyguard. But yeah, so he was originally going to be a bigger character. I don't know if he was going to have the Jake Gyllenhaal role or they had to rewrite some stuff. But yeah, he was originally intended to be a much bigger character. Instead, he's the first one who dies. Yeah. It is a huge bummer. Mm-hmm. And it's for such a... just. So, the thing goes into hibernation, and Ryan Reynolds is forced to deal with it, and he gives a really good speech about how, this isn't my job. I shouldn't be doing your job. You need to get your shit together. Stop acting like that thing in there is your buddy. It's not. I am, and you should care about what happens to me. Yes. For all I know, we're carrying anthrax on board. You can't compare Calvin to anthrax. I know at least five guys back home who can do my job. Nobody can do yours except you. I don't want to be around that thing. I'm not qualified to be around that thing. I understand. I'm just Good. saying you can't compare Calvin to Anthrax. Stop, stop calling it fucking Calvin. We don't know what that thing is. Yeah? And you're in there and you're playing around with it like it's your buddy. I'm your buddy. You're drunk on this. Wake up. This isn't and will never be a controlled experiment. So let's all agree we made our first and last mistake. I miss my fucking dog. And so it sucks that when Hugh ends up getting his hand broken, because he's an idiot, uh-huh. Ryan <laughs> so Reynolds decides... Is the one who suffers, right? Yeah. Yeah, decides to go in and try to save him, which is, yes, Ryan Reynolds' choice and fault, the character. Oh, yeah. He's the one... Okay, so there's a series of firewalls. Firewall one is the sort of incubation container. Which we've already told you in. is bullshit. Firewall 2 is the room that that chamber is in. Firewall 3 is the entire station itself. So when we talk about the firewalls, and the characters will too, that's what we're talking about. So when it breaks Hugh's hand, he passes out, and Ryan Reynolds is like, I'm going in there, even though Rebecca Ferguson is like, fuck you, I'm the quarantine person, you're not allowed to go in there. He does it anyway. Uh, Just again, like an alien. Yeah, making terrible decisions about quarantine. He don't save anybody. Hugh dies anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He's not here, gonna but die, yeah, but he'll die anyway. Uh, he passes out. And you get this really great moment where Calvin, who's now a lot bigger and looks more like a starfish, uh, is like pushing out on the glove. Like he reverses the glove. So it looks like there's like a hand reaching out into the room. It's a very compelling shot. And I really, really like that. But then it takes the the little electroshock thing. And cause, so Hugh's out of the room now because Ryan Reynolds got him out. But then as he's doing this, Calvin rips the glove by breaking this rod and tearing the glove. And then he gets out. They close the door on Ryan Reynolds because now it's out. And Ryan Reynolds is going to have a fun little adventure where he tries to incinerate it for a while. Just and that's not going to work. Fuel well, over that over fuel again. is specifically used exactly for this purpose. So why doesn't. Here was my thought. Uh-huh. Why doesn't he get his back up on the door, have it ready, they open the door. If the thing comes near it, he burns it no. as he goes out. They do not break firewall two until it's back behind firewall one. You know what's funny That That about defeats that? the entire purpose of firewalls. You know what's funny about that? That firewall, it's just about the shittiest firewall you can think of. 
There's all these vents in there. There's no that you vents. can very easily crawl out. So of. what happens is Ryan Reynolds doing all of this fire stuff, and nothing happens for the longest time until the thing finally attacks him. And there's this chilling scene of it like forcing its way down his throat. It's terrifying. That's what I mean. Like the movie's really good at these tense and thrilling moments. Uh, I was just mad. Yeah. I was like, I'm watching Ryan Reynolds die. <laughs> and then and then he's just floating there, dead. Like, he spits up blood or whatever. Just floating there in the middle of the room. And then eventually it comes out of him. And then the incinerator, which still has its pilot lit, uh, gets near the temperature gauge for the sprinklers. And it sets off the sprinklers. None of the fires earlier on set off any of the sprinkler. But this tiny little pilot light happens to drift close to this mercury, which, you know. That's a good point. It's at, anyway, doesn't matter. Now they need to fight. But for some reason, the system's, the system is down. The system is down. The system is down. The system is down. It won't let them, it won't let show close all of the sprinklers at once, they need to manually shut them down one at a time. So there's this race against Calvin, who's trying to find every sprinkler to see if it's a way out. I'm not going to get into it every single time Calvin is a genius, because I, for a lot of it, I can I can look the other way. I can be like, okay, okay, it's looking for a way out. I can accept that. It was looking for food. It went after Ryan Reynolds. I accept that. Do I accept that it was smart enough to see through a glove and look for tools so that this it is the thing to break the glove? No. The movie does a thing that lots of movies do, which is it conflates intelligence with knowledge. And these are two different things. They take a character, or in this case, an organism, and they say it's really fucking smart. And what they mean is it's intelligent. It figures things out. But the problem is, is they conflate it with knowledge. And now Calvin just knows things that it never had an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. Things that aren't just logical. Things that you wouldn't just be able to put two and two together. Like he knows what certain buttons and levers do mm -hmm. that he would have no context for. Yeah, I'm going to try my best, guys, to just let a lot you of You just go. need to know that it's the whole fucking movie. Yeah. He just reads minds, apparently. Yeah, he is. I couldn't put it better. A lot of movies do this, and it's really, really frustrating when it's they do it. It's also especially frustrating because Hugh will go on and on about Calvin and how it's just an animal. It's like. Yeah. Movie, who are you trying to convince right now? Calvin doesn't hate us, but he has to keep us in order to survive. That's the other thing, we'll get into it, but that's the other thing about it just being an animal that the movie gets wrong. I feel I think the alien is just an animal, the xenomorph. Yes. I don't think the xenomorph has evil intentions. Uh huh. But I believe that this creature has evil. Intentions. It's just evil. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. That's the thing is the visuals that they use throughout and the things that it does, they they just accentuate the fact that this is an evil thing. And yet one of the sort of like morals of the movie is that it's just a living thing trying to get by. You know, they even say at one point, 
I'm trying to understand that, you know, this is just like any other living thing, but I hate it. I know I shouldn't. I know it's stupid, but I hate it. I know what I feel is not scientific. It's not rational. I feel hate. I feel pure fucking hate for that thing. No, this thing is evil. Like, it's literally evil. You should hate it. This isn't just an animal doing its thing. It's not a fucking shark. It is out for blood. It doesn't care what it needs to survive. It doesn't need to kill these people to survive. It just does. And it seeks them out and it tortures them and it does awful things to inflict pain. That is just evil. Yeah, the fact that it wants to make you hurt is weird. And then later on, when it starts getting bigger and getting more features, and it gets this, like, skull face thing, it's like the movie's trying to go, this is an evil thing. But then in the script, they talk about how it's just a living organism trying to survive. Like, which is it movie? I mean, there are cases of animals that have gone, quote unquote, human hunting, but it's very rare. Yeah. And that's not what that's not the type of animal you put in your movie mm-hmm. where you're trying to discuss those sorts of ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, anyway, going back to what I said before, we're past the point where they should have just changed the atmosphere in the room. They should have just changed the atmosphere in the container before it broke down. If that's what it needed to survive, they could have killed it that way or at least forced it into hibernation. Yeah. The only time they think of that is when Firewall 2 breaks down yeah. and it's out of the room. It's Suddenly out of the lab. they remember that. Yeah. It's just so frustrating. It's very strange. Like the quarantine specialist doesn't go, hey, if the certain atmosphere is what it needed to live, we should keep that in the back of our minds that that needs to be a fail safe. If it does anything weird, just change the atmosphere. Well, like, that's your fucking job. Actually, wait a minute. Hugh couldn't do that because his hand had been broken. Oh, we didn't say what happened. Do you want to explain really quickly? It just wraps itself around his hand and then crushes it. And then you get to see it all limp as it comes out of the glove. Right. And here's the thing. He passes out. He did that. Calvin did that because he was prodding it. Mm -hmm. Right? But you'd think that it would be happy about that because it's brought it back to life. But it's supposed to be like, oh, it's hurting me, so it's going to break this yeah, hand. it's just an instinct, that's all. Right. But then, after he, you know, I guess because it's totally broken, it lets go? Yeah, it's not it's not resisting anymore. So but that's lets... what that's what Hugh tries to do the entire time, is relax. Yeah. And it keeps getting tighter and tighter, uh-huh. like it wants to break it. Yes, it doesn't have to, it wants to. Yeah. But it ends up letting go for some reason, and he ends up having like a heart attack or he just or passes, passes out, out. Yeah. and then he's just sitting there floating and that's when ryan reynolds decides that he needs to save him even though at that point there was nothing had it already gone out yeah it had already gone out that's yeah, why i think it, it had already reached out no it hadn't gotten out had it no it had it must have reached out for the thing and that's why ryan reynolds was like oh shit i gotta yeah. save my buddy but like at any time any of those but people how could did have it done figure something. out to do that anyway yeah. doesn't matter mm-hmm. Oh, and the poor rat dies, too. It kills oh, a rat. Oh, ratty. Which, which really sucks. So, Hugh couldn't do it, because his hand was broken, and then he passed out. And Ryan Reynolds had already given a speech about how he doesn't know how to do Hugh's job. Mm-hmm. So, I guess they could only do it from within. 
that room? These sorts of scenarios are designed and thought about up, down, left, right, back and forth. The fact that you can only change the atmosphere from inside the lab is a failing of that design. I don't believe that these scientists would make that failing, especially with everything else they've already thought about. That would be controlled somewhere else. You know what else is in that room that is controlled from outside? The sprinkler system. So why wouldn't these atmosphere controls be controlled from anywhere in the space station or at least inside the lab and then directly outside the lab? Why would it have to be manual controls? Well, because you don't ordinarily need that in a big space like that. Right, but this lab is specifically designed to study potential alien life. True. They knew that. That's why they have this qu- this quarantine protocol. True. I don't know. But hey, we missed the fact that Show became a daddy. Yes, at some point in here, Show's wife gives birth. And everyone celebrates. We, one of his gifts, I guess, that uh, I think Rebecca Ferguson brought mm-hmm. uh, from home was Good Night, Good Night Moon. Moon. The book that everyone knows. You know what? I never had Good Night Moon. It was never read to me as a child. Really? That's probably why it turned out the way I did. <laughs> I thought everybody read Good Night Moon. No, yeah, I never had. It wasn't one of my favorites. But. That's important because later, uh, brooding Jake Gyllenhaal is going to read it out loud. (laughs) Yes. uh Uh-huh. That's why that's important. In a moment where we're not there yet, but they still need to get things done. They just, let's just take a break and have a little rest and read a book. Okay, book's done. All right, now let's get to it. It's like, why did you take that pause then? Anyway, dramatic exactly. Moment. It was for the movie. It was for the plotting. It the problem is is that it's unbelievable. If you want to, I highly, highly recommend. There's a video essay by Mike Rignetta about placing things on the camera. But one of the ideas that he develops is the concept of suspension of disbelief. One of the things that somebody will come back to you when you say like, oh, that's stupid. A real scientist never would have done that. And they never would have done that. You know what? There are many, many things that I will suspend my disbelief for that are absolute nonsense. Like Wolverine's adamantium claws. Early on in Wolverine, uh, in the Wolverine story, they were just behind his knuckles. How does he move his wrists? You know? So then they had to, well, we had to retcon it. It goes all the way down his forearm. You know, okay, that's how they explain it away. But there are certain things that you can accept, like the fact that he fucking has the adamantium claws, fine. But I do not accept that they cross his wrist and he's still able to bend his wrist. So you see what I'm talking about when I say suspension of disbelief. This is not about nitpicking the movie to find its faults. These are all things that made me go, oh, I don't believe you, movie. A movie doesn't have to trick you for you to believe it. You willfully suspend that disbelief in order to enjoy it. But these sorts of things, for me, took me out of it every single time. They're too much. I don't know enough about it, I guess, for those things to bother me. (laughs) That's why I had no idea that you couldn't have grabbed that thing with the arm. (laughs) Yeah. I read that you couldn't. Like, if you watch that, the fucking speed that that... (laughs) shuttle comes at the, oh grabbed it <laughs> like yeah. it's catching a 
an almost home run or something. <laughs> Catching a fly ball. Is the insinuation that Calvin has ruined their comms? I don't know. Or is it a mistake? I wrote down that the first thing that gets shut down is comms. Comms to the outside. So yes. first, they can't contact home. But then they can't talk to each other inside either. Their explanation is is that it ate the coolant. Yes, it is. It's eating their coolant. They do say that. I didn't know if that's what ruined the comms. But out know. of the entire ship, there's plenty of things that have coolant and and much more of it. Why would the comms be the first and pretty much only thing to go out because this thing needed the coolant? Yeah. It's all very, It's very just convenient. very convenient, yes. Okay, so this is when the Russian lady is going to die, and it really sucks, because I really liked her character, and then she makes a great decision at the worst time. If you're going to sacrifice yourself, make it worth it. Yeah, so she goes outside to fix their comms, I think is what she's trying to do. I think so. Or repair the coolant leak or whatever it is. And No, they don't know that it's a, that there's a coolant leak. She oh, okay. finds that out when she goes out there. And then she sees it. Uh-huh. Why it's out there, I don't know. Well, because it had no way of getting inside. Once it was in... It was in the vents. The vents, and they shut all of them down oh, they or whatever. Shut the vents it down. forced it outside. Got it. And so it goes outside, and it's existing off of whatever it can find, including the coolant. So it takes, like, the, the O2 from the coolant or something. So let me get this straight. Mm -hmm. They had it on the outside. Yes. The problem I get, I get the problem. They, they don't have communication. I understand that. Mm -hmm. They do have an escape pod. Yes, they do. They have Could, more than one. Couldn't one person go and tell Earth that way? But the thing's out there. They don't know what it would do. That you can't send anything to Earth. This is the other thing. Everyone on this ship recognizes that Calvin cannot make it to Earth. In no way, shape, or form can it make it to Earth. So Firewall 3 is, like, super important. And everyone recognizes that. But they still continue to do thing, to do bullshit with these other quarantines. It's already broken Firewall 3, by the way. It's outside the fucking ship. And that's going to be a realization that they come to. That they need to get it back in the ship. Because if it's outside the ship, it could go to Earth. What sacrifices? When are you making them? Why are they contradictory? Uh, anyway, it kills the Russian woman. So it attaches to her. And it ends up eating her coolant. Oh, yeah. Here I have here. The commander chooses to go on the walk and repair to get the comms because she was the second most qualified after Rory. Yes. Who Ryan Reynolds, Ryan who Reynolds. is now dead. Uh, but I wrote, not sure that's a good enough reason. <laughs> you are the commander of this whole thing. That's like Kirk going down with the crew. To the surface of the planet. <laughs> You're the captain. You don't go down. <laughs> anyway, she goes out there on this walk and repair. And yes, that and it attaches to her. It, it breaks. Uh, there's a coolant leak that she has. And her whole suit starts filling up with this liquid. So apparently that's like a dramatized real thing that happened like five years. Not even that before. This now the I say dramatized because it wasn't nearly like it was, the person wasn't drowning and they didn't die. Oh, okay. But yeah, the coolant leak. There was an accident 
and it was going in his nose and in, and in his ears and he couldn't see for a while and they had to rescue him. That really, really happened. Oh my and that's God. what that's, I guess, inspired by. Oh, that's terrifying. But ultimately, it only makes me think of the abyss. You know, where they breathe through that gel. And so they have these suits that look like space suits. I kind of remember But then this. it fills up with that liquid and they need to breathe that liquid. I kind of remember that. It's just visually, that's what this makes me think of. Mm. But it is, again, terrifying. Yes, and, and then she fights against. They do such a good job with the yeah. intensity of this sh- of this scene, with her deciding to jump, her trying to get there, but the whole time you're thinking, if you're me, you you can't go back in. Right. He's on you. Well, just just, just float out into space, save Earth, save uh-huh. everybody. Which she finally does make that decision. Too late. Too late. Yeah, she fights against Jake Gyllenhaal, who's trying to open up the hatch to get her back in. He puts on his suit. There's a great moment where he's in the airlock and he's like, you need to depressurize the airlock. Do it now. I'm getting on my suit. And and shows like, are you ready? And he's like, do it now. And he does it before he has the suit on. And so, I mean, I imagine... That probably wouldn't have been, I don't know what would have happened. Well, he says it's going to hurt. Yes. And so he like closes his eyes and his mouth and everything and ends up get like, that's right before he gets his helmet on. So I don't know how realistic that is, but it was a very intense moment. And so he's on the other end in the airlock trying to get this hatch open and she's outside and then she starts fighting against him because she realizes, fuck, I'm going to die no matter what happens. I can't let this thing back on the shuttle and I'm going to push myself out into deep space too late. It jumps off of her right onto the hatch. Mm-hmm. They realize as it's crawling around and they try to burn it with the thrusters, uh, they realize, Oh shit. It's been out there for a long time. We have no idea how long it can survive on its own without the oxygen and everything that it needs to survive. Without food, without water, we don't know. We don't know. How long was it hibernating? You know, millennia? The only thing that shuts it down is is the atmosphere. And I don't understand why the atmosphere of space isn't... Well, that's why. It's because it doesn't have... It requires a lot of the things that biologically we require. And so when it's out there in space, it's subsisting off of what it's already gathered and it's stored kind of like bears in hibernation. So it will shut it down. It will have to shut itself down. It will have to go into hibernation in order to survive in space without an atmosphere. So that's all that they're talking about. But it could still make its way back to Earth. They can't leave it out there. It needs to get back behind Firewall 3. And then they can maybe get it behind Firewall 2. You know, maybe that's where it needs to stay. Uh, And maybe they can even kill it then, but they can't get it out. They can't leave it outside Firewall 3. So they let it back in through one of their uh, thrusters. And that's when Hugh is like, we need to take away its oxygen. So they're going to try to get it into a certain place and take away the oxygen of that room. And it's around here in this conversation that I was just like, what is Jill Hall's acting in this movie? Yeah. This is when he starts to get real... And I get it. 
His friend did just die, and he's feeling responsible, even though he shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I get that that just happened. But this doesn't feel like grief. This feels like maniacal, like Well, crazy. that's the thing. That's <laughs> why they just don't do anything with it. Yeah. Like anything interesting beyond the fact that the hint that that's there. His eyes are going all over the place, and he's yeah. getting real shifty and his... He, you know, he puts his shoulders up and puts his neck down. You know, he's getting yep. real. It looks like he doesn't trust people, but he totally does. 100%. Yeah, he's a great guy. Through and through. He just, he's a loner. Mm-hmm. It's around this time that Hugh starts to feel responsible, which he should, but it's very annoying. Because <laughs> he yeah. starts to get all, like Chris said, philosophical and... It's just bullshit. It's just so much bullshit. It's just an animal. Not from what you've shown us. Yeah. I have one of my notes here. This is later when it when it's going after show. It looks too sinister now. And it's behaving too violently. I want to hate it despite its innocence. That's the conundrum that the movie is trying to build up inside of you. And it repeats that kind of ad nauseum with the script. But then they do cheap things like making it look evil and making it do evil things. And all of a sudden, that sort of like ethical quandary is just out the window and it's no longer interesting. Mm -hmm. Now I hate a thing that's evil. What's fucking fascinating about that? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Being terrified of a creature that is protecting its babies or being afraid of a creature that is killing for food. Yeah. That's scary. But, yeah, just watching an evil creature that can do anything it wants. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just can't talk. A lot of this movie is going to be them trying to just isolate Calvin. And they can't. And then Firewall 3 happens. They're getting sent out into space. Yes. So we mentioned that Firewall 3 was broken. And Miranda, who's Rebecca Ferguson, she knows the protocols as well as everyone else should but she's the one who designed them she knows what happens when firewall 2 breaks is they need to maintain firewall 3 and they cannot let the space shuttle or anyone on the space shuttle the station god you got me saying it now (laughs) return to earth and so they send a rocket up and it's going to connect jake gyllenhaal's all excited And that's, yeah, when Rebecca Ferguson gives that speech about they're not coming to rescue us, it's Firewall 3. They're not coming to rescue us. It's Firewall 3. What? Firewall 1 was the box. And Firewall 2 was the lab. And Firewall 3 is the station. But we have a new firewall. What do you you say? They don't know that. And if Firewall 1 or 2 fail, they have two choices. They can contain or they expel. They're pushing us out to deep space. They cannot risk Calvin reaching Earth. And so what we see is they connect to the station and then they start pushing it out into deep space. We passed up a couple of things. Hugh ends up dying. 
because it crawls up his leg. And since he can't feel his legs, it ends up cutting off an artery. That's interesting that you say that. And you said that when we watched it. Uh-huh. But there is a distinct shot where he's talking to Jake Gyllenhaal before we have any idea that Calvin is attached to him. Uh-huh. Although I think we did see Calvin, like, running around, but we always see him running around. Yeah. Hugh is speaking to Jake Gyllenhaal, and he says something about Calvin. And he looks down at his leg. And the shot looks at his leg. And it's like it's telling us something's in his leg. And I almost asked you, did he have like a bag or something? What's going on? I didn't ask you. It moved on. And then it was on his leg. If that's the case, the movie's worse than I thought. That was the implication I got. Because at this point, he has murdered people. There is no reason for Hugh, of all people, to be the one that goes crazy. Well, because he's the one who loved Calvin. I don't care. complex. I don't care. It's killed everyone, and they have given no other indication that he was gone crazy. He has feelings for this thing. He's a little soft on it, but not, I'm going to let it kill me by leeching on my leg knowingly, and then let it kill everyone else too. Not that crazy. Again, the suspension of disbelief, that's a bridge too far. That's beyond the pale. No. Unacceptable if that's the case. So I'm giving the movie the benefit of the doubt and saying they're using the clever turn that he can't feel his legs. But that's still where important arteries are. And maybe he's acting a little bit goofy because not as much blood's getting to his brain. Yes, I did write down, what's up with you? He's yeah. acting weird. But that's why I thought, I was like, he's acting weird because he's gone over the fucking deep end and is letting Calvin back in. Yeah, it's, if that's the case, I would be very, very upset. So they're trying to funnel it into a particular part of the ship so they can shut down the atmosphere and force it into hibernation. This is after they're being sent into deep space? or No, no? it's before that. Okay. Uh, and that's when show kind of, separates from everyone else because it's following him and he ends up getting into like his bed chamber thing with the glass that they sleep in yeah and why they don't think to so calvin is gonna go off and do other shit right Mm -hmm. and they formulate this whole plan it's like why couldn't you have gotten show like i get that they can't talk to each other but like calvin wasn't there anymore couldn't they have gone and gotten him well here's the problem one, one single shot in shows calm. It whistles. He goes, ah, and he takes it out. <laughs> so now they can't communicate with him. <laughs> and I wrote down, put the calm back in. <laughs> Later on, he's going to think he might be in the clear and he's going to go get out of his bed. Put the calm back in. <laughs> there was feedback one time and all of a sudden no i'm cut off from everybody yeah like it it's just asinine and of course he has those feedback issues right as he gets trapped and isolated yes of course he does mm-hmm. and of course so show dies when he tries to get out hugh's dead uh, Russian lady died outside. Ryan Reynolds was killed in the lab. The only two people that are left are Jake Gyllenhaal's David and Rebecca Ferguson's Miranda. They send the Soyuz rocket 
up to them. And that's when Jake Gyllenhaal gets excited. Like, no, they're going to push us out. That also happens to be the exact moment that they did get Calvin isolated. And they were shutting down the atmosphere and making him go into hibernation. Just happened to be the exact moment that the Soyuz rocket shows up. Excellent point, babe. Just contrivance after contrivance after contrivance. I wrote down the rescue Soyuz just happens to arrive just as they're venting the section that Calvin's in, killing him, and it just happens to be docking. This is the extra contrivance. It just happens to be docking in that very section <laughs> that they're shutting down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, around here I have my note. I'm not surprised people keep making stupid, irrational decisions. Half of the dialogue is arguing about the ethics of quarantines, mm. which... Pretty clear ethics there. (laughs) Still thrilling, though, is what I wrote. Because it was. All of this is still very thrilling. It's just also infuriating. (laughs) But so they come up with the plan to lure Calvin into the the escape pods. One will go to Earth and one will go out into deep space. And, And it's attracted to the oxygen. They have these, like, oxygen fueled torches. That they use, and it's attracted to those, and so it's going to, like, absorb all of that it needs to, right? Uh, And so that's what Jake Gyllenhaal is going to do. He's going to make it follow him by this breadcrumb trail of these torches that he leaves. And that'll allow her to get into one escape pod and go back to Earth, and then him to get in this other one and go out This being the one and only time that Calvin can't figure something out. Yes, Totally fooled by this tactic. Yeah. Even though it's shown that it's too smart to be fooled by certain tactics. So, whatever. They get in their escape pods, they both eject, and they both happen to be flying right next to each other. And then David is fighting with Calvin for control of the ship. And then... And they do a really shitty job of trying to make it seem like... You know where this is going. He doesn't understand that... He's controlling the ship. He just understands that Jake Gyllenhaal is. So if he squeezes and does certain things, yeah, we're not saying he's flying it. Right. That's not what we're saying. But that's effectively what's happening that's here. That's what's happening. Jake Gyllenhaal's hands are doing nothing to Calvin, but Calvin goes straight for his hands. Mm-hmm. Like it knows he's piloting me somewhere I do not want to go. So no, I do want to go. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So like that's the thing. Like, how does it know what piloting anything is? How does it know that the joystick is the thing that pilots it? Like, it just knows. Yeah. It just has knowledge that it should be incapable of having because it doesn't have any fucking context. But anyway, and they kind of the shuttles just kind of bump into each other, but it's okay. One does in fact go out into deep space and one does go to Earth. Now the movie is going to not show. Which of these shuttles belongs to which of these astronauts for a very long time? I remembered watching this the first time being like, don't do it. Don't mm-hmm. fucking do it. I wrote, You're gonna regret why it. are you taking your time? You're only making the audience ask why you wouldn't just show us if they weren't going in the directions that they were supposed to go. Like, all of a sudden, we stop being able to tell who's in what ship, and then they refuse to tell us for a very long time. It is so incredibly obvious what twist is coming. 
so incredibly obvious. So then what we are supposed to think is Rebecca Ferguson's pod lands in the ocean somewhere in Asia or something. And these fishermen come and they open up the hatch and we see Jake Gyllenhaal still alive inside and just this web of Calvin everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And then we cut to Rebecca Ferguson, who is also, no, no. Lots of no's. Yeah. What and a twist. W- yeah. And when it lands in the water, it's just these like fishermen. They're like, what's that? And I'm like, don't go. You're going to regret it. Yeah. Like, You're going to regret it. I didn't mention that they do also cut off the visualization in both pods, so neither of them knows where they're going mm-hmm. or what's happening. Another contrivance. Yeah. And then the movie keeps going, and not only is it that first ship that shows up, then there's a second ship, then there's a third ship. And it's just like, oh my God, movie, I understand Calvin's going to take over the world. Oh, sorry. Stop. Let it go. End your movie. You mean boat ships, just yes. to be clear. Yes. Are converging on on this shuttle that landed. Yes. yes. And then it plays Spirit in the Sky over the credits. <laughs> like an uninspired choice. Oh, my God. They thought about it for two seconds. There's a big epic. No. Da-dee-dee. Like, what? No. It's not even a good juxtaposition. Nope. Which it could have been. Yeah. But it's just a complete tone shift and one that isn't unsettling in any way. Nope. I wrote down, this is what I wrote down. It works, the movie. It does, but it doesn't do much else other than that. And it feels like the script's fault. It's a shame that it felt the need to rest its climax and twist on the script being clever, because it isn't. Not on good acting, not on special effects or anything else that it does really fucking well. It rests everything, the payoff of the entire fucking movie, on this is a really impressive script that's going to blow your mind, and you're not going to see this coming from a mile away, but you do. It's a huge disappointment. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie's just a big disappointment. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 60. 67. Keeping in mind that Alien 3 had a 45. Life is... I know, right? It's really (laughs) shitty. Life is just thrilling, well-acted, and capably filmed enough to overcome an overall inability to add new wrinkles to the trapped-in-space genre. That is incredibly accurate, I think. Just the thing about, yeah, it is thrilling. It is well acted. It is capable, but it's just capable enough to work. And that's literally all it does is the absolute minimum. But it doesn't work. I guess maybe we need to agree on my definition of working here. Like it functions. I guess. It's not effective. It functions. Yeah. Okay. I'll say that. It functions. It has a Metacritic of 54 and a cinema score of C+. I would have walked out of this movie and given it a D, I think. Just by how pissed off I would have been at that ending. Mm-hmm. And not in like, a, oh man, it disturbed me. It really fucked me up. Nope. Like, no, I wasn't disturbed whatsoever. I was just disappointed. <laughs> I'm officially a dad now. Yep. 
Do you think that 67 is overrated or underrated, Kelsey? Overrated. Yes, it is. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 55. I think that a 55 is a pretty good score. I thought 60 feels too much. Yep. 50 feels like not giving it enough credit. Yes. 55 is perfect. Yep. You failed. Yeah, it it but it's just it's not even failed in a fun way. Not <laughs> even failed not even failed in a way that I can just dismiss it. <laughs> it's failed in a way that's really fucking disappointing. Yes. Cuz it's obviously obviously the people involved in this are very capable of making a great movie. Mm-hmm. And everything I disliked about it had to do with the plot. Everything that was written down on that page. Yes. That's what I had a problem with. Agreed. Agreed. But the problem is, is that all those actors agreed to that plot. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I get it. I'd want to be in a sci-fi by Aliens too. I get it. Yeah, totally. But you don't take any old script. Or you demand that certain things be changed. And you don't call the fucking movie Life. That's a bad idea. There's like 20 movies called Life. <laughs> it's the worst. There's a TV show called Life. There is. About a cop who's wrongfully imprisoned for like, he gets life in prison and then he's let out when it's proven that he didn't do it. I was talking about the show about the world, about creatures on Earth. Oh yeah, the documentary series. David Attenborough. Yeah. But there are life, movies called Life Everywhere. It's not creative. It's just annoying when I have to <laughs> constantly, you know how many times I have to look it up on, on IMDb to grab stats and things like that? <laughs> And I have to do it at several different points while we're watching the movie, when we do this, when I'm editing, when I'm grabbing all the produced by credit info that I need to put in our description. Like every single one of those times, I'm always – normally, it's easy enough just to start typing the name and it comes up. It's not worth saving a link. (laughs) But this I might have to just because it's so SEO unfriendly. And it's 2017. There's no excuse. (laughs) This isn't like 1920-something's life. All right, Kelsey. That is uh, my birthday week and our Killer Space Alien week. Yay! With 1992's Alien Cubed or Alien 3 and 2017's Life. Now, as you guys know, if you've been listening for a while, what usually comes after my birthday is Kelsey's birthday. That's next week, Kelsey. What yeah. are we watching? We're going to watch a movie neither of us have ever seen uh-huh. called Madman. Yes. About a killer in the woods. From what I have read, it is literally a killer going after camp kids. Yeah. it From the trailer we watched, it feels like Jason meets Candyman. Because you say his name and yes. you summon him. By the way, Candyman, we've already done Candyman 1 and Candyman 2. We'll do Candyman 3 when this new one, which is coming out like very soon. Mm-hmm. It might already be out by the time this episode goes out. When that comes out to streaming. Mm-hmm. So you all can, we can be sure you all can watch it too. Yes. We will watch that soon. But yeah, this one is like Jason meets Candyman. And we're going to pair it with Fear Street, yeah. 1978. We're, we're pairing it with Kelsey's favorite of the three Fear Street movies. Yeah. And like I said, we wanted to get to it quickly. Uh, and so here we are. Yes. Fear Street, 1978. Here we come. That is next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, on Twitter, at podcemetery, 
and in your podcatcher of choice. Don't forget to rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Life's very existence requires destruction. No, I'm exploiting you for content. Huh? But no, I'm exploiting you for content. If we're going to have a conversation, I might as well be recording. <laughs> okay, do I miss you when you're gone? Yeah, what, what made you think of that? I miss you all day. I miss you all day. I miss getting to be with you all day. It's just, like, the past couple of days, I, it's been... I haven't really had an opportunity to miss you. <laughs> it's I've been pretty jam-packed with work until basically right before you get home. So, haven't even had a chance to enjoy your lack of presence. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I do. I do really like it when you were here. <sighs> Stupid in-person school. We have 25 prisoners in this facility, all double Y chromos, all thieves, rapists, murderers, child molesters, all scum. Well, that's where that line's gonna go. You don't want to know me, lady. I am a murderer and rapist of women. Really? And she thinks about it for a little bit, and then she says, well, I guess I must make you nervous. Let me see if I have this correct, Lieutenant. It's an eight-foot creature of some kind with acid for blood, and it arrived on your spaceship. It kills on sight and is generally unpleasant. <laughs> and, of course, you expect me to accept all this on your word. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's here! Never! No, that's, that's, that's Battle Royale. <laughs> Never! <laughs> it's a very similar moment. Tetsuo! Oh, shit, Canada! Right. You want to say it like you actually reacted to it? All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does life begin? At conception. What? <laughs> Put those two things together. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I'm unless, and you might want to cut this out right now. Unless it's leading to his decision to sacrifice himself, but I would actually say that's a more rock-solid decision. 
No, it is. But I mean, that's all related to his wanting to stay out in space. I think that that and his cabin fever are two different things. Well, then his cabin fever is bullshit. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> with a cell, with a cell, fuck. This is some reanimator, reanimator shit. That's an obscure reference. Not if you're a nerd. I wonder if that's what ends up happening to the Alien franchise. Like with Resurrection. We're going to have to watch Resurrection sometime soon so I can figure that out. If they just go full bore into the like, well, the Xenomorphs are just evil. Because I mean, it's well, not until... Well, they've already it's not said until, that the creators are evil. It's not until Alien Covenant that we get the question of like, you know, David thinks that the Xenomorph is is, is a beautiful being you know that as there's more to does, it than the fact that it kills as does gallic gallic yeah uh huh but the creators are evil the creators of what from prometheus no they were just doing their own thing too the story is that the creators were just spreading life and then killing it when they saw fit yeah well because this is the life they created they looked down at man and went Oh, fuck that. You're going to kill a lot more things. We need to <laughs> shut you down. And then they did it shitty. But it wasn't out of some sort of evilness. It's just power that they shouldn't have had. There's a difference. Couldn't you argue that he has power that he shouldn't have? No. He has no good intentions. Calvin? No good intentions. Not a single one. I don't know that we saw that the people from Prometheus had good intentions. Yeah, we did. They checked in on us over and over again to make sure that we were making progress and advancing and being good to each other. And then we started setting off nuclear bombs and shit. And they're like, oh, fuck you guys. Like, that's the Prometheus story. I hate her question. What did we do wrong? What the fuck do you think you did wrong? 